We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Changeling on March 28, 1980. It was written by William Gray and Diana Maddox, based on a story by Russell Hunter, directed by Peter Medak? Medak? Medic? Medic? Medic! Medic! And released by <laughs> Associated Film Distribution. Uh, this is a Canadian film, so it's our third foreign film technically for the year after a couple of Australian ones. Um, oh, Canada's not a foreign film. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're our property. America's hat. Um, this is based on a true story. <laughs> true in quotes story that took place in Colorado, uh, not Seattle. This film is shot uh, a little bit at the very beginning in New York, but mostly Seattle and Vancouver area. The filmmakers could not find a house that they liked for the story, so they spent $200,000 building the facade of a house. Yeah, but I don't think it was just a facade. The, oh, the whole entry hall, I think. Like the, and the like, garage. And yeah, the, the entry hall, the garage, the some of the hallways, I think. Like, maybe. And some staircases. It was sets. Yeah. But uh, because, well, because of what happens. Yes. Like, it was like yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, there's no, I looked it up, it's like, oh. Okay. These stairs are not up to code. <laughs> This is a favorite horror film of Alejandro Amenabar, who did The Others, which I know you're a fan of. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, a lot of oh sense. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah, The Others is one of my favorite horror movies. And I I absolutely loved this movie. Which yeah. it, and, and I was thinking when I was watching this movie, I'm like, you know, this really reminds me of yep. The Others. Well, he's a big fan. <laughs> Scorsese also included The Changeling in a list of inexplicably the... 11 scariest movies of all time <laughs> i don't know why he just needed to tack an extra one on there he felt like he was leaving somebody out um it took sixth place so technically it's in his top six scariest movies of all time narrowly edging out the shining which we'll cover later this year but uh his number one movie was the haunting the robert wise film from 63 oh. um, yeah. which i've never seen i saw the remake yeah and the remake is obviously the better one with Owen Wilson and Liam Neeson. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, that was the haunting, right? Uh, yeah, that was the haunting. Okay, because there was a couple. There was like five different remake yeah, horror they, movies. They, they did a something. House on Haunted Hill and uh, Thirteen Ghosts. Thirteen Ghosts. Yeah, I also uh, thought a lot about the Innocence, which is also uh, in Scorsese's list. Yeah, which is unbelievably great yeah that was uh number 10 on his list i think that's probably why he made it 11 is because he forgot to put hitchcock in his top 10 <laughs> and so psycho is number 11 in his top 11 i don't think i've seen anything else on his list other than uh the exorcist was number eight this is the eighth film to feature actor george c scott and trish vanderveer his actual wife rick wilkins was the credited composer for the film but the music box theme is actually the work of composer howard blake uh, which we'll hear more from later this year in Flash Gordon. Uh, the film was nominated for 10 Genies, 
and won eight. Doesn't that sound magical? What's a genie? It's a Canadian Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is can't the f- they just use ours? <laughs> <laughs> they can't just call them Oscars. No, they're just they're part of the U.S. It's it's not a separate country. Don't be. Silly. It's the biggest state. This is the first year they were called genies too, which makes them extra magical. We start the film mm-hmm. with well, the, well, 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 we got more. No, before before we go and, okay. and spoil this one. Sure. This is a an action thriller, not an action thriller. We're talking about this De- is like, definitely not an action thriller. <laughs> this is a suspense thriller. This type, is a historical drama. Like it's it's a mystery type of movie. It's an exposition thriller. I okay, an exposition thriller. Sure, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's just a straight psychological horror. I don't care what we call it. Whatever it is. <laughs> Is really great, and I don't want to spoil it for people if right. they haven't seen it because, like, it, it is honestly a, a wonderful movie that, like, you don't want to listen to all of the things that we're about to reveal about this movie until you've seen it. That is true. This is another one where we're going to go ahead and give you the vintage video recommendation that you see this one, you come back to the review. We, we put out a lot of episodes. You can just listen to the next four that dropped probably today. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, come uh, back to this one. Come back to this one when you've seen the film because uh, it's worth seeing before we screw it up by blowing all the punchlines. <laughs> we start the film uh, in snow somewhere, presumably outside New York. Yeah, where they a, were living. it just said upstate New York. Do they give a year? Uh, no, but it does say it's it, November twenty seventh. Yeah, it gave a oh, date, gave but date, not a but year. Not the year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, it's like November twenty seventh. Okay, I have to. I wrote it down because it's like very it's, important. It's Seems like, very important. It's very specific date. You couldn't just say November. Wait, what time? Or, what time? Or winter. <laughs> also, that doesn't actually come into play at all. Many things don't come into play, but I'm not saying that they're complaints. Yes. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff that happens. I was yeah. Like, Some of it confused me a back? lot. No. No, yeah. it doesn't matter that it's November 27th. Honestly, the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, that was great. And the second time I watched it, I was like, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> this didn't make any sense. And this didn't need, why is this in here? I and like, I got so confused that I was like, I literally don't even know what happened anymore. And then I had to watch it a third time to <laughs> piece it together in my head again. But we start uh, in a snowy area where the car seems to have died. Yeah. And the entire family is teamed up to push the car off the road. And there's like a payphone right off the road in the middle of nowhere. This is like a windy country road, like in the middle of nowhere. And there's just a phone booth. It would have made sense if it was like a call box. Maybe that's what they had for call boxes back in the day. Right. But uh, there's just a payphone off this this highway. And uh, George C. Scott goes to talk on it. And his wife and daughter. Right. Yeah. That took me a minute, too. I was like, is this his granddaughter and daughter and granddaughter or wife and daughter? Um, but they say, like, let's have a snowball fight. It's like, oh, no, no, no. You need to conserve energy because you guys might be out here a while. Who knows how long it's going to take. Yeah. Also, like, rule of thumb, if your car ever breaks down, just stay inside it. The safest possible place for you when you're on the side of the road is inside your vehicle. Although, unless you're in the middle of nowhere and you don't have a cell phone and you need to call for help. Because then you're just going to yeah, freeze to death calling, in the car. He is calling for help. Right, so he, but he had to get out of the car to do yes, that. Yes, he, he got out of the car. They Everybody should else stated. should have remained in the car. You should not be frolicking Correct. on the side of the road. Uh, although, I will say, in this instance, had they stayed in the car, they still probably would have been ejected. I don't know. Is that, that is, well, I don't know. In 1980, they had seatbelts. I they mean, like, be, they would have been hurt. But No, but the car is dead. And so they're pushing to the side of the road, and if they got back in the car, they wouldn't buckle their seatbelts back on. 
they'd be and sitting not, free. Maybe not, but like still, they wouldn't have been would smashed st- by the car that they were sitting. That's in. That's true. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but I was oh, st- that a spoiler? Oh, right, because that's what happened. Because yeah. they got hit by the spoiler <laughs> <laughs> on the front of the car. Spoiler alert. <laughs> that's a very literal oh. spoiler alert. <laughs> they didn't need the spoiler alert. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to get hit by a car. I'd rather be wrapped in, you know, sheet metal and fabric. (laughs) Sweet protective glass. (laughs) Sweet. So uh, George C. Scott is making a phone call. Uh, John Russell is the George C. Scott character. is making a phone call. And the ominous music is following cars coming from opposite directions. And it's clear what's happening. Before I spoiled it, I didn't spoil it for you guys, right? I didn't spoil it. A car, it seems like he swerves onto the wrong side of the road, and a truck, to avoid it, swerves off the road, crashes into the car, and at that point, the wife and child, Joanna and Kathy, mm-hmm. are standing in front of the car on the side of the road. So the car plows into them and then into a snowbank. Yeah. It's a pretty devastating shot. Yeah. And it cuts immediately to the changeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like one of those movies that sets itself up real well. Yeah. And if only the setup was going to come back in some way. What do you mean? <laughs> it doesn't. I thought it did. I have definite disagreements about this. Okay. okay. But we uh, we cut to months, years later. Who knows? Well, yeah, because it's just now it's March 4th. Yeah. <laughs> Very specific. Probably months later. With, without without a year. John Russell is walking past uh, the Metropolitan Opera in New York, uh, where Peter Venkman famously spun near a fountain. After telling uh, client Dana Barrett that he would see her Thursday. I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you, sir, but I'm glad you're feeling better. Still very pale, though. <laughs> he, uh, he goes home and packs up his house. And we get a flashback to when it was unpacked. And his daughter walked into his office holding a ball and was like, Daddy! Catch! <laughs> bounces a ball towards him. Uh, and then we cut back to the present as they're packing up and uh, one of his housekeepers has dropped the same ball onto the floor and it's bouncing toward him in the office. And he picks it up and says, make sure that this makes it to Seattle where he's apparently taking his entire life to Seattle where some friends have helped him get a teaching job mm-hmm. at Seattle University, which is actually a college in Vancouver playing the right. part of the Seattle University. We, we will see actual parts of Seattle in this, but... Right. Uh, we have not yet established what he does, which it, I don't think is established until that moment where he's in the college. Right. Correct. Uh, uh, yeah. he, he's a famous composer. Yeah, very famous. Uh, we get a, a quick moment of him sitting with his two friends who probably invited him to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, well, you know, we set you up at the university. Are you, how long are you going to be staying at the hotel? We should find you a house. I know realtor people that we can set you up with well they offered to let him stay there right but yeah. he doesn't and, really want and to. he's like no 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 I'll, I'll be fine i'll figure things out but they they also have kids and i think that like they're trying to make the implication that he doesn't really want to be in the house with these kids because sure. that's kind of painful yeah he uh he finds the house that's been recommended to him but for some reason he didn't drive up to the house he pulled over on the road and stopped at the gate and when the woman who from the historical society who mm-hmm. found the house for him pulls up she offers to give him a ride from the street to the front of the house right this woman is trish vandeveer george c scott's actual wife she reminds me of the woman in beetlejuice who is trying to sell the house absolutely 100 percent. and i honestly think that tim burton cast her 
because she resembles this woman. Yeah, I, I thought it was. And I was I was immediately looking her up. I was like, this is the woman from Beetlejuice. Yeah. I thought the exact same yeah. thing. Because there's there's actually going to be... I'm going to reference Beetlejuice a few more times over the course of this film. Because I, I, I think that Tim Burton is a fan of this movie. I Because I found so many other directors talk about this film. I was like, there's no way that Tim Burton didn't mention it. Like, the creepy attic that the ghosts hang out in that's locked away from the rest of the house. Like, there's no way that he didn't mention this as being a part of the inspiration for Beetlejuice. But... It, I, I couldn't find an interview if he did mention it. But there, there's a lot of this movie that I think fed into the 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 germ of, of the Beetlejuice idea. But she takes him up to the house, goes inside with him. She's walking around and telling him that the historical society has a bunch of pieces that actually belong to the house. That I guess they took out for safekeeping while the house wasn't inhabited. She tells him that uh, there's a man named Mr. Tuttle who's going to help him maintain the property because it's... A needlessly large house for a man by himself to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they never really explain that. Like, it doesn't make any sense why he would come to this location. I mean, it the house is absolutely enormous. Yeah, it's probably like 20 bedrooms. Yeah. Like, just a full-size mansion. And the, the closest they do to explaining it is like, there's a music room and you're a composer. So you, mm-hmm. you probably want a music room, right? And smaller houses don't have music rooms. Yeah. It's like, it, you could have gotten me a two-bedroom place with a music room. Yeah, and, and like here's this antique piano that you, I'm sure you could use. It's like, uh, if he's a composer, he probably wants to use, one, his own piano, yeah. and probably a piano that's well-maintained and tuned. Yeah, not one that's been abandoned in a house for many years. <laughs> and I'm sure he already paid a lot of money to ship his piano from New yeah. York. So it's not like he's going to be like, oh, well, there's already one in here. Oh, chuck that one then that I paid $1,800 to ship here. He walks away from the piano, and we hear it go, Bung, like plays a note on its own after he walks away. Well, it, this is like, yeah. So we get a quick, like a couple shots of them, of a cleaning woman cleaning up the house that he's taken it. And he's working on composing something. And then when he goes to strike a key, it doesn't strike. Like it, he keeps tapping and it's not yeah. playing. I hate this. I like to torture him. Um, and then something calls his attention away. I can't remember what it was, but we stay with the piano. Right. And and this is one of the things that bugs me about the movie is I feel that the music does the movie a disservice because there's this grand sweeping score starts building up before anything is happening. Yeah. And then it yeah. zooms in on the key and it's like, ding, and it goes, rah, rah, rah. like, yeah. it's like, okay, I get it. Yeah, like you, you didn't just... have to telegraph it, and you didn't have to highlight it after yeah. it happened. Yeah, if the camera had just held on the piano after he left the room, wide shot, and then you hear the piano key strike, I still would have gone, "Ooh, okay, something's yeah. going on." Maybe in this particular moment, that was unnecessary. I, I feel like overall, the score does the film a service. I think, I think that there's a lot of of the mood of the film that comes directly from. The score as long as it's not interrupting stuff which i feel sure. it does it, a lot yeah I, I i agree i think more with richard on this one so i i think that there were moments that had great score and everything but there were definitely enough moments if if the score is calling attention to itself with where i i on several occasions in this film thought why is the music like this if the if the score has done that then it's kind of failing. Like sure. it, sh- it should be sort of receding in and just like, and, and, and working with the film. But there were many moments where I'm like, this is really weird music. I'm okay with the music taking the foreground. Sometimes I don't, I don't think it's like editing where it needs to be as invisible. I, I think that a lot of the time 
it's it's okay for the music to even proceed moments as long as it's not overbearing and mm-hmm. and ruining them like like for this particular shot but for the most part i actually really liked the score i remember even saying out loud when we were watching it, i was like I'm digging this music so far um, and and the soundtrack apparently got a huge release I'm not surprised, and, and it has like diff- several different variants in this, which added to my anger. <laughs> I was like, "I'm not a big fan of this score," and no. there's so many different versions of it. Well, now I know what to get you for Christmas. <laughs> I, I'm going to be ragging on this movie quite a bit, and I, and I have to say this: I liked this movie. Yeah, and I'm ragging on it because I feel you want to hold it to a higher standard. It could have been perfect with just yeah. a few little tweaks. Well, yeah. you you prefer the Angelina Jolie remake, which is very <laughs> yes. different. Yeah, I was like, "When is the son gonna get kidnapped?" <laughs> well, that does happen, though. Yeah, sort of. I'm also very upset that Jean Marsh was only in that first scene because I was super as excited the wife. Yeah, that Jean Marsh is gonna be in this movie, and I only know her from really two other movies that I love crazy. Uh, what are the two? I know what one oh, of them is. Yeah, which is funny because when you brought her up, you're just like, "Oh yeah, you know, she's um." You know she's a she's the queen in Willow. Beth yeah, Beth Morty. Yeah, there you go. And and I was like, and then I looked her up later. I'm like, what? You didn't tell me she was Mombi. Yeah. <laughs> the two oh, from movies. Return of Oz. Yeah. yeah. Is she really? Yeah. She's Mombi, or one of the heads? Of, the, the I guess the, the the main head of Mombi. She's also the body of Mombi. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I totally missed you even saying that. The only other thing I had was uh, Monica Barling in in Frenzy, the Hitchcock. Uh, movie, yeah. but uh, I didn't realize those were the same people, the yeah. Queen Bev Morda and Mombi. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, she is great though. Rock in the eighties. But yeah, it is a shame that she was only here in this one in this very first scene mm-hmm. and is immediately hit by a car and then never shows up again. Uh, and just just to be clear, this has absolutely nothing to do with the Angelina Jolie movie, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they both feature changelings. Which is like a legitimate term for when a child is swapped out for something else. Is that really? A, I didn't realize that that was an actual term for that. Yeah. I, That's, that happened on, on Troll Hunters, the DreamWorks animated series. They have changelings where they take the baby out and replace them with a troll. Oh. That's called a changeling and they call it a changeling on the show. Oh. I, I bring that up because Jesse works for DreamWorks. and I didn't realize that. Like yeah. I just always assumed changeling and I feel like it was in like a Star Trek episode or something yep. like that. Well, well that, that was the whole race that uh, René Ojanois was a member of the changeling. There's also somebody in this movie that was in the changeling Star Trek episode. Yeah, so there was an episode of Star Trek, the original series oh, okay. called uh, The Changeling. And John Calicos, Calicos is that DeWitt? Is appears that De- in this film as well as as a Klingon in. Yeah, that's the police yeah, officer. Yeah, DeWitt. He plays Kor. Yeah, that sounds right. K O R. Yeah. But yeah, so when you guys started talking about Star Trek and Changeling, I was like, oh, that's right. There was a there was a Changeling Star Trek episode, and the police officer from this movie was on that episode. I always just kind of thought it was another term for shapeshifter. Oh well, no! I, I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't realize it was like a a, a a switching the body, you know, switching the person out for another person. Or... It's it's not usually for another person. It's usually for a mythological creature. Okay. And it's something that was like olden times, like legends and stuff like that, where your baby was replaced with a monster. Mm-hmm. Like it happens in the Omen. That's a changeling situation, where you get a demon instead of your kid. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Okay, this makes so much more sense now. So I didn't that, know that that was a real term. The titles are actually relevant to the plot, it turns out. 
we uh, we see John Russell in class uh, teaching a, a room full of students. It's supposed to be like twenty three kids. Yeah. Obviously, this classroom was not a classroom for twenty three kids. Like they either gave him this room because they knew that one hundred and fifty extra kids were going to audit the right. class, or they just figured that no one would care that they obviously wouldn't give this professor this room for 23 kids. Again, hammering home that this guy is famous. It'd be like if John Williams right. was going to teach a class and only 20 kids got in, you guarantee other people are going to show up just to see him. Right. And, and he's set money-wise, so he doesn't care that yeah. there's that many people auditing the class. He's just like, well, there's supposed to be 23 of you. It seems there's quite a bit more. And he's a good it is raining of- outside, so... Yeah. Uh, and he's got a good sense of humor, and then and he's very well. The the class is responding to him, and he's also not shy about his celebrity because he sits down. He's like, "You probably know this song," and then starts playing what I assume is his most famous composed score because they cut immediately to the local symphony performing the score for a fundraiser. They're trying to raise money to help maintain the symphony orchestra. Uh, John Russell and Claire Norman are walking around the concert hall. And they hear the introduction of uh, Joseph Carmichael, the local senator who is... Is he a state senator or... He's a senator. A state yeah. senator or or uh, I national? Would, I would say state senator. Okay. And uh, he's giving a speech about raising this money. Sorry. When I, when I say state senator, I mean one of the two one senators One of the two senators of Washington. State. Okay. Not like... I'm talking about the state senate, not, not like the, state the smaller senate. body. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so I, I, I was like, that was confusing. <laughs> yeah, sorry. He is the senator for the state of Washington. Yes, likely the senior senator. Claire makes a joke that he's already given a number of speeches, possibly even at this specific fundraiser, but he's giving yet another speech. And the senator makes a joke himself, like, "Oh, well, you all know how I hate making speeches." But then he goes on to talk about how it's important to raise money for the symphony orchestra. Russell and Claire basically uh, walk away in the middle of the speech to go grab a drink. She mentions that Carmichael is actually on the board of the Historical Society also. And uh, the next morning, right on the dot at 6 a.m., a loud clanging sound repeats and echoes through the house. And and that's one thing I do not like. Okay. I do not like punctual ghosts. Uh, (laughs) Because... The 6 o'clock a.m. doesn't have any bearing on the story? It has no bearing on the story. Like, I thought, I, and because I, I rewatched the the murder scene very carefully. Like, does, does Where are the clocks? Where are the clocks? Like, does he see a clock? Does he, does, is, is, how does he know what time it is? And why 6 o'clock? And, and how does every clock in the house perfectly synced? I have yet to see the any house. The ghost does that. <laughs> perfectly goes around and sets it all day. Um, does it, if it was daylight savings... Because they didn't have daylight saving in, in, in that time. Like, what was the time? Uh, Richard is giving this far too much thought. That's why I don't like punctual ghosts. Unless it has a purpose. That's fair. I'm not going to defend that. That's obnoxious and unacceptable. Thank you. That this ghost Brr. is making a sound at any time of the day. <laughs> why six o'clock? Why not? I, I figured the, the actual reasoning for six o'clock was so that they could blame it on some thing that would happen at the same time each day and it would believably be the house's fault like the heat coming on yeah well i think the opposite would be easier to write off and be like yeah sometimes houses make noises the end right but it's happening at the same time every morning so i mean starting here but the implication would be that oh well it's the the boiler or whatever is turning on at this time every day because that's when the sun is coming up and the house the temperature of the house is changing and but yeah 
that's loud clanging sound which i assumed was going to be more piano keys being struck like i thought it was like whole chords being slammed mm-hmm. down but um we never move close enough to the piano to see if that's the thing making the noise we just hear it from where is he in the kitchen or something the first time uh, i think he, uh, he in bed i think he's in bed he, because yeah, it's he wakes six in the up morning. both times I oh, okay I, I remembered he woke up the second time he uh sits down at the piano while people are working all around him in the house and he's kind of inspired to write a song and it seems like like they don't, they don't spell this out explicitly but it seems like this is the first time he's been inspired to write a new song since his family passed away mm-hmm. he seems like suddenly there's you can see life coming into him as he's sitting at the piano and i don't think he's actually playing anything here he's just kind of leaning back and forth and we're conveniently cropping his fingers out of the shot but uh he's playing you mean the this... actor isn't actually playing yes yeah okay and uh it's it's kind of a happier song than you would expect him to be inspired to write at this moment mm-hmm. and he's recording and, it yeah here. he, he yeah. seems to like it so much that he goes and he gets yeah. his recorder he sets it up on the piano and starts recording the song and while he's doing this uh, a door behind him slowly creaks open um did you either, either of you catch the boom mic in the mirror yes i did <laughs> I was like, I is that. that the boom mic? I didn't. I was. We're gonna I throw a screenshot of that on the uh, yeah, Instagram. Yeah, I didn't then. back it up to double check. I was wondering if that was a boom mic because it's really kind of hidden between the chandelier yeah. and like, it's, him. It's almost perfectly obscured. It's just like they just had it off a little bit because there's a statue on the mantel too, and every every other angle, it's the statue obscures the boom mic location. Yeah. But that initial too many camera, mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> so Claire brings in some of the art from the historical society that had come from the house initially mm-hmm. um including one that's like a picture of the house when yeah. it was first built again something i thought was desperately going to come into play no, none of this these are yeah. things that are being returned to the house and he's going to see something no but having all this art like under blankets and stuff like that again reminded me of beetlejuice in places where they're like all their stuff is covered in blankets after they die mm-hmm. and also like having all this art like filling yeah. this old house this was i mean so many of these things reminded me of the others like with yeah. the, with the, the white the, sheets yeah. The, the, yeah the the curtains and shades uh, and and fabric over all of the furniture and stuff like that and um and the doors randomly opening mm-hmm. like this is like straight straight out of this movie there's a there's a movie from universal called the turning Ooh. that has a lot of the same stuff it's got uh, well, mckenzie davis and mckenzie it. It, it's it's the turn of the screw Right. Uh, which is what The Innocence is based on. Right. Uh, but The Innocence, ver- I can't stress enough how good The Innocence is. Um, the Innocence one is a total, is very divergent from the book. And I think this one is trying to be more like the book, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, Do you think The Innocence is better for its changes? Yes, oh, absolutely. Okay. I'll have to check that one out. Uh, I I was very curious about Claire's outfit when she came in. Jess was like, apparently she took a horse here. Like, <laughs> yeah. while she's she talking to him. In that gear, I'm like, they better point out the fact that she's just totally in riding yeah. gear. And they do. And they do. Before yeah. the end of the scene, John Russell turns to her and he says, oh, are you going riding? And she's like, oh, yes. Do you do you like horses? They do have a quick moment before that where she, she finds the ball in his desk. She's like, she's complimenting the pieces that he brought with him and, and including a desk that she liked the finish on it and she opens it up and finds the ball and she's like oh, that's silly you have a toy in here mm-hmm. and he's like oh that was my daughter's and she's immediately like well, i screwed this moment right. up anyway i'll put this back in here and go shoot myself in the face and as she's walking out the door he's like oh do you ride and uh she's like oh yes i was going to be doing some riding later do you like horses and so they go horseback riding and immediately again he's like 
My daughter just reminds horses. me of uh, my daughter. She really likes horses. <laughs> She's just like, oh, God, uh, then, let's go get some ice cream. Then hard cut to him just crying in yeah. head. And I was like laughing in my mind if the camera's going to pan up and she's just going to be there laying next to him. While he's <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, <laughs> I also feel bad that he never mentions his wife. Right. He's just like, oh, my daughter. I miss my daughter so yeah, much. Yeah. And uh, what's her name? Uh, Joanna. <laughs> which is name? the name of his... Uh, the, the other lady. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny, too, because it's George C. Scott and he's, he's Joanna was his partner. Oh. Which <laughs> George C. Scott also has a Joanna partner in The Rescuers Down Under. Well, Joanna, what do we get today? A dingo, a fat old razorback, or a nice big boy? And they both loved eggs. Yeah. I don't know. But the Joanna in... In Rescuers Down Under is a is a lizard. Yeah, it's a it's a is are the, is it pronounced Joanna lizard or is it Goanna because it's I think he, it, it's spelled well, with a G, right? Yeah, uh, I think it, but he calls I think her Joanna. It, yeah, I think he calls her Joanna. Google says Goanna. Goanna is the pronunciation, is the pronunciation for the lizard species. So Joanna is just a fun take on the name yes. Goanna. Yeah, that makes sense. We should mention also because it's probably confusing. His wife in this movie is a lizard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And she uh, was in Goana Man. <laughs> Goana Man. She is the changeling. That's the what? one. Is that the basketball movie yeah. where? Is it a man posing as a woman on a? I, I believe WNBA so. But it, that's team? also Joanna Man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sure. More pounding. So confused. <laughs> At six a.m. Uh, yeah. Uh, the punctual ghost strikes again. N- maybe a piano? No, it's not a piano. Oh, we we should mention too that the reason he's crying is because. He had a dream of the accident reoccurring. Mm-hmm. We get a quick flashback of the cars striking each other on the side of the road, and then we we cut to him crying. He is in the basement suddenly with Mr. Tuttle, and Mr. Tuttle's like, it's an old house. You know, old houses make sounds. Nothing to worry about. Yeah, because he thinks it might be like a... He, he describes it as something else, but I describe it as a water hammer. Yeah. Uh, where uh, water hammers have to do with differentials and water pressure right if you look in some sinks you'll see like these weird little pipes that come off and are just capped off at the end it's just a place for water to get displaced uh house i lived in back east had a really bad one every time you turn on the hot water and turn off you just get this big clang yeah every time you shut it off you uh, break pipes with that too. exactly but the uh the the housekeeper guy is just like banging on pipes down here he's like no Nothing. It's, it doesn't have anything to do with any of these. It's literally probably just the boiler or whatever. It's nothing to worry about. It's just an old house. Russell has a group of students over from his class to do a rehearsal in the music room. And after everybody's left, he's sort of distracted and led around the house by the sound of running water and um, like a moaning sound. It sounds like a woman moaning. Um, but the, the the first room it leads him to is just the bathroom where, or no, it's the sink it's in the kitchen, kitchen where yeah. the sink is running and he turns off the water, but he can still hear water running and he follows the, the sound upstairs, um, to a bathroom, uh, where a bathtub is getting filled and he turns off the faucet at the bathtub and suddenly has a vision of a child drowning in the bathtub. A young boy drowning in the bathtub. Yeah, I wasn't clear that this was a young boy drowning in the bathtub. Like, I at first thought it was, like, supposed to be his... One of his students? His, no, I f- thought it was supposed to be his daughter. Like, oh. he was envisioning, envisioning his daughter drowning in the tub. I, well, I, I thought the same thing uh, until my second viewing. I was just like, oh, no, that's definitely the little boy. But I thought, again, because I was waiting for the mother and daughter thing to come back. 
Well, yeah. on the first pass, I assume that one of his students didn't make it out of this house and drown, and he didn't know about it, and that was him noticing the body. Like, the house had killed one of the students while mm-hmm. they were there, and that it was going to be about him getting blamed for it. But none of that is the case. Um, and he seems to know that this isn't real immediately, because he doesn't freak out about it at all. He just kind of backs away and walks back downstairs and doesn't call the police, like no. you might do if you found a body in your bathtub. He uh, he tells Claire about all the weird sounds and the water and they're they're on the balcony at the historical society which is in this really beautiful super narrow building yeah it's almost like what that almost like that the old fashion of times square yeah in new york but it's not it's like like a, but it's a very similar kind of building where it's on right. a very narrow triangle yeah but and, this triangle has a balcony on the on the short side of it so that they can go out and just look over this intersection from the but he's telling her all about the weird sounds that he's heard yeah, there. This building is actually in Vancouver. Right. No, it's not in Seattle. So, I mean, it's, they're pretending as if it's in Seattle. But yeah. uh, this is the, the Europe Hotel in, in Vancouver. Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's a very cool building, which makes sense that you would use that for the historical society. Mm-hmm. And uh, another woman in the office stops him to tell him that his lease is all screwed up. And yeah. that he, he might not legally be staying there. Yeah, um, and she gives him a very stern warning about the house. Yeah. That the house doesn't want people there. Having I've, some kind of knowledge that something something's is dwelling going on there. there. Yeah. Russell is at home walking out the front door of his place when suddenly a window breaks and a bunch of glass lands near him. It's mm-hmm. a window of like an attic window. Um, and he basically goes back inside and finds a boarded up room that looked like a closet yeah which was very confusing to me what this it's like a sunken door frame yeah and they boarded up the door and then just put shelves and hung stuff in front of it so yeah. that you would think so, it was a closet so that means the door on the outside was fabricated right to look like it was part of the hall because i was like because you wouldn't have a door that and led another to door another door two feet back yeah, yeah. like it, one of these doors wasn't original yeah the yeah, one that's, that's I don't know. There like I've I've been in old houses where you do you remember like kind of like the um the staircase in uh Home Alone where mm-hmm. like, you know, going up to the attic. So like I've been in old houses where you have a door and then like a short a really short hallway and then a, the staircase up, which right. you could put another like like there is an archway there. Right. You could but, put another door but this is literally like an arm's length between the two doors. Yeah, yeah. Like if you were, if you were, it'd be the size of a phone booth if you were closed both doors. Yeah, I don't think that there was a was it actually a door behind the shelves or was it a yes. wall? There was a door. It was okay. a door that was boarded up. So that's why I think the door on the outside was fabricated okay. in order to make this room appear to be a closet when it actually it was just an alcove that led to the attic stairs. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. But and then you get another little taste of Beetlejuice there when you're finding this hidden room and you're like oh what's going to be back here and i was joking when we were watching it the first time like oh there's going to be a whole miniature model of the town but uh he uh he breaks down all the boards he has to hammer on this lock yeah there's Um, a big old rail railway style kind of padlock on this door and as he's pounding on it the ghostly pounding is happening and this is like my first indication of do not open this door. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> this seems to be a warning. Not only is this door locked from the outside, uh, but you're hearing the pounding at the same time, yeah. like, like saying, don't. 
yeah, to but me is like, don't do this. Flying in the face of the warning, he decides to start pounding in sync with the clanging of the house. Yeah. He's not even just like, I'm going to break this thing open, I don't care about you. It's like, oh, you want to help me? Okay, you can guide mm-hmm. me through hammering this thing. And then he's able to break the thing open and he goes inside. This room probably hasn't been in since 1909. It's uh, just completely overcome with cobweb. It's dark inside. As he's moving through, he finds school papers, right? Mm-hmm. That say CSB 1909. There's a tiny wheelchair in the corner under the window that is broken out. A lot of dust. There's a music box. And the he opens the music box and it starts to play a song. And it's the exact same song that he was inspired to compose at his piano. And we cut to him playing the recording on top of playing the music box. And it's not only the same song in the same key, but they're at the same tempo. He's playing it perfectly in sync with the music box, mm-hmm. despite never having heard the song before, or so he claims. And he's playing it for Claire to point out to her how crazy it is. Um, Which is also really tricky to set up. Like, if you have a real, real recording and this music box and you're trying to, like... Sync it perfectly. Sync, sync it perfectly. Yeah. I feel like if I were him, what I would be worried about right now is that my entire career was a sham and that I'd been taking songs that I'd heard in my life mm. and uh, started like making money off of them, not realizing that I'd actually heard them as a child somewhere. Well, what, what's another issue that I have is that everyone is very quick to believe everything he has to say. Right. Like, and like sometimes she's like, she's skeptical maybe once that maybe maybe you've been working too hard but then everything after that is like nope i completely yep. believe you and i'm actually witnessing things happening yeah the rational response to this revelation would be well you obviously heard this song somewhere mm-hmm. and it was in your head and so you wrote this and it's like yeah but it's in the same key it's like okay okay you have perfect pitch yeah you heard it in this key you... but but he he asserts no so then she takes him to the yeah, the society to start doing research. She goes, yeah. "I believe you. Yeah, let's figure this out." And she, she, he takes her up to the room, but they don't turn on the lights, even though we do see later that there are lights in this room, despite yeah electricity not being in many houses in 1909. Uh, Russell reads that the house was preserved thanks to a grant from the Carmichael Foundation, which is the name of the senator from the earlier scene. Uh, the older lady who warned him about living in the house in the first place at the historical society tells him that a doctor lived there in 1909 and left after a family tragedy. This was the Bernard family, Dr. Bernard. They decide to look into it, so they go find a microfish at the local library where they read that the daughter of the Bernard family was killed after being struck by a coal cart. And they read about the rest of the family and go visit their graves at the local cemetery. So... <laughs> this this was a red herring that threw me off so much the second yeah, time I, I watched it. I was also movie. laughing at, like... At the speed of which this coal cart was traveling in 1909. I know. I was just, I was just picturing like the scene in Austin Powers. No! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this coal cart going 50 miles an hour down this road? Well, I was also trying to remember, what is the car that hits their car that kills them? Because it would have been really interesting if it was an actual car that was overloaded with coal in the back oh, of it. Oh, it was a big semi hauling it was something. A, it, yeah, it was a big truck. Could yeah. have been a coal truck. But uh, but yeah, the, this daughter was killed, and they go and visit the the graves of the family. Back at home, John Russell is there by himself, and Kathy's ball comes bouncing down the stairs. He's freaked out a little bit by it, and immediately decides to throw away the only thing he has to remember his daughter by by driving it away and yeah into a bridge. Like I don't know if he was 
like trying to tempt this experiment. I almost wonder if he felt like he was they were gaslighting him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get rid of this ball in a way that only I know about it. And there's no way to bring it back. Right. And so he drove it to a bridge out in the middle of nowhere, threw it into the water. And the second he walks in the door, when he gets home, it comes bouncing down the yeah. stairs again. And it's bouncing at this like uneven pace. Yeah. Like, it's like really disturbing. It's like the eyeball and Scrooged. Oh, when, yeah. Uh, when he drops it out of frame the, and it keeps bouncing the, higher. The golf ball. That he the drinks, golf ball, yeah. yeah. But it keeps it, it doesn't lose any momentum yeah. when and it sometimes bounces. it comes higher than it did before. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's basically all the proof that he needed that there's something supernatural going on here. And then he goes to like a psychic research center where this right. guy's like, I absolutely yeah. believe everything you have to say. It's, like, I, 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 it's so easy. <laughs> we're, we're seeing the exterior of the building and the scientist starts talking and he literally says, Oh, I believe everything you're saying, Mr. Russell. The noises, the lights, the teleportation of objects, all very familiar. It, it doesn't sound like when Dan Aykroyd is talking to people in Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. and he's like, no, I literally believe what you're telling me. It sounds like, uh, oh, no, I believe I'd come on into this room and put on this jacket. I believe everything you're saying. But this guy is being legitimate, and they're trying to do that thing that every supernatural movie has to do. Exorcist did a lot of it, mm-hmm. where you have to break through this supernatural threshold, and you're like, okay, we have to convince the skeptics that this is real. So we're going to show a man of science say you know what, we interview a lot of psychics and 99% of them are just bozos. But every once in a while, there's a mm-hmm. legitimate psychic who can tell the future magically by using magic. <laughs> so I'll hook you up with a magic lady. And then we move to a seance uh, happening at the house with a medium that he was hired. Best scene in the movie. It's, yes. it's amazing. So we keep, I, I want to just re- reiterate the fact that we keep ripping on parts of this movie, but it has been legit freaky up no, till yeah, this absolutely. point like it is it has been very suspenseful and terrifying you know you don't you're not clear on what's going on and you're freaked out yes but but this day of john russell's life is the most terrifying for me in the whole film but so he uh they have they organize a seance the seance is basically john and claire and another woman from the historical society i believe it's claire's mother oh yes you're right yeah. claire's mother and uh, the the medium and then her like assistant character. Mm-hmm. And they all sit down. And I, I, I feel like I've seen this before um, in something, this form of a, of a seance where uh, everyone sits around a table, obviously poorly lit, as is the, the nature of these uh, ceremonies. And uh, she has a bunch of pads of paper in front of her and she has a pencil in her hand. I, I didn't know if you were going to bring up the others. This is oh, the exact yes, scene in yes. the others. I'm sorry. Yes, I should bring up the others. Yeah, they, they do this exact same seance in the others. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of yeah. then. But she's just sort of... Her her purpose is to swing this pencil around and let the spirit guide her hand. Mm-hmm. So she just swings it in circles, um, in kind of a diagonal circle on a piece of paper and asks questions. And it's her expectation that the ghost will take her hand and spell words out. And and her her husband or associate, I think it's her husband, yeah. like he keeps sliding the paper, sliding it out and then moving her hand back to the other side so she can guide it. And she also can't look at the paper because she has to focus on mm-hmm. the room. So he has to read the paper as she's writing it so that she knows what the ghost responded so she, she can factor it into her next question. But... Uh, as they're moving, uh, the ghost says that it is there, that it's listening, that it is not Cora, which is the girl who was killed by the runaway coal cart, that the person's name is Joseph, 
And then it just starts saying... And then she loses control of her arms because the ghost is being so frantic with her that she brushes everything off the table mm-hmm. and they have to bring the seance to a close there. The the, the buildup of even the, uh, the what you may call it, the, the husband being more and more concerned. Help, help, John, you, help. Yeah, like, it's just like, uh, yeah. everything about this. Even, even just describing it right now, I'm still feeling like the tingly, tingly. On, on my spine from yeah. it. Yeah. Because it's legitimately creepy. And uh, th- they move on to like another stage of the seance, which I, I don't really know what the purpose of this one is. Yeah. But um, it seems like they get more information out of this half of it. Because basically they've set up this big metallic cone in the middle of the table. And she asks a bunch of questions, which they're not, they're not hearing any answers to. But the cone is kind of waggling back and forth. Every shot we get of John Russell during the ceremony his face looks very skeptical and I was getting the impression that he was getting frustrated with these people that they were wasting his time. Specifically the first half of the seance felt like there, there was nothing supernatural about it in terms mm. of fr- from the perspective of a skeptic. It was a good show. Yeah, it, w- it was a good show and it could very easily have been a performance of a con artist. But th- for this second half, there's an actual supernatural element of it, which is that this cone is just wiggling around with no, string attached to it and nobody seeming to pilot its movements and so i felt like every time they show his face since he's so stern that he's like angry at them because they're trying to pull something over on him but then immediately a wine glass from the table is shot directly horizontal 20 feet across the room Mm -hmm. where it slams into the mantle it just explodes all over the room. But it opens up a cupboard door. Right. And I'm like, oh, what's going to be inside the cupboard? I didn't even notice <laughs> I didn't that it notice opened that the cupboard. I was like, nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't come, come into back. play. Um, so I'm really confused at this point in the film what John's motivation is. Because you're just like, why are we doing this? Get the hell out of there. And just let let this go. Like, why are you still in this house? Who cares? He cares. The, his motivation is that this ghost clearly wants something from him and is trying to communicate with him. And if he didn't listen to it, it would be the same as if his daughter were on the other side trying to get a message across uh, and nobody was paying attention to it. All right. I don't think they made that clear. Well, I, I thought that was the point. I, I might be reading too much into it even. Yeah. You're, you're also we're also making assumptions at this point that this ghost is is uh, benevolent, right? Well, he and, hasn't and, done and wants anything. help and isn't just trying yeah. to get him out of the house. Yeah, like it, it seems like like this ghost is just desperate, but I don't believe that that's true. Later on, well, well he no, did just but, ask for help twelve times in a row. Yeah, but like up until this point, there there's I mean, although it is creepy, he hasn't done anything malicious, mm-hmm. right? But so what confused me before this point is that the schoolwork in the in the bedroom with the small wheelchair yeah is not from the kid in the wheelchair. Correct. So my assumption is that Cora went into this room, set down her schoolwork and was scared by the supernatural goings on of the house. Ran out in the street. Ran out into the out of the house and was killed. 
Is that is that well, what happened? Well, no, 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 no. Hold on. I thought Cora died. Didn't Cora die before him? No. Yeah, Cora oh. died. After. He died in 1906. She died in 1909. Oh, because I, I while was... the house was empty, while he was with the changeling in Europe. Uh... Which is my problem with this is that the ghost wasn't waiting for someone with a tragic loss or needed someone with a tragic loss. It's been reaching out to people for for a while. And well, maybe maybe the ghost reached out to the family after Cora died, and that was their tragic loss. I will concede that. That yeah. is an interesting point. But they don't spell that out enough yeah. for me. And it took me so long to even realize that she died after. I had yeah. to pay very close yeah. attention to realize that she died after because I was like, wait, so coincidentally this other girl just happened to die in the same house? Like, none of these people are named that. Like, why is this... Mm-hmm. I don't. I didn't understand well, what was going on. But in my mind, I didn't realize that it was after either because I was like, "Oh, right." So he needs an heir, you know. And I was like, you know, oh, both kids, you know, if both kids were gone. But it's just a stupid thing where you could only have an heir. That's a well. So for a never second, mind. for a second, I thought that the whole Cora story was fabricated, and they literally planted it in the microfish and built fake graves mm-hmm. to like cover up the story of what happened in this house. Well, because Mrs. Huxley had that information ready to go. Yeah, even though it wasn't in the the public file, but uh, so John before the séance had set up with their permission had set up his recording device to keep a record of everything that uh, happened and he's looking through the notes that are scribbled on the paper the help and and uh the joseph and as he's listening to the recording he realizes that his device has picked up the voice that the the medium was actually responding to and that he's hearing more than she said to the table she hears the person say that their name is joseph and that and my metal mm-hmm. and he wants his metal back and there's a well and a house with a ranch and it ends with him explaining that he is joseph carmichael yeah he, he also mentions sacred heart sacred heart yeah, yeah I, I i i listen to this part just audio only yeah and it gives me chill it's very chilling it, he keeps the delivery it. is really creepy yeah um it, it, i like it better when he's whispering than when when this obviously like older person is doing little kid voice yeah joseph carmichael it's like okay yeah. this is like 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 phil and lil from <laughs> rugrats <laughs> voice it was a kid that played him though that played the boy but not i don't think that 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 boy delivered those lines oh you don't think so okay but the the line my metal that gets played back again later like that was just genuinely terrifying yeah. too uh, it kind of reminds me, in terms of the delivery, it reminds me of uh, Oogie Boogie going, my bugs, my <laughs> bugs, <Yeah>. my <laughs> bugs. But uh, he, he's sitting there terrified. And as, he, as we're hearing Joseph's voice on the recording, we're getting this really awesome floaty POV shot just moving throughout the house really quickly, spinning downstairs and flying across rooms. Um, as he's talking about what happened to him. And Russell has this vision of this kid who was struck down with some sort of a, a muscular... Um, yeah. I forget what they call it. I, I wrote it down here. I'll mention it later. But um, he, he was undersized he was and couldn't walk. And... Yeah. And he's taking a bath in his room when his father comes in in the middle of the night and lifts his legs up so that he falls into the tub. And he can't get a grip on the edges of the bathtub. And he's just swinging his arms out, pounding on them. And we hear the familiar clanging of 
the house every morning um, was the sound of this kid banging on yeah. the tub. And this and- is this is horrifying. Like this is like I mean of all of all the ways that a parent could like kill their child and that a child could die like. Like it, 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 I feel like this scene makes me hyperventilate. It's, yeah, it's just absolutely horrifying. Yeah, and the the music box starts playing like it's bumped during the struggle. Yeah, starts playing. That's why I was really watching closely the second time. I was like, does, "Where's the clock? Where's the clock?" Yeah, like does does the guy's watch fall in? Does he see the watch? Like the what, watch? there's no reason six he couldn't have been taking a six o'clock bath. He's taking a six o'clock bath. Six a.m. Six yeah. a.m. bath. You know what? <laughs> That's the thing you do. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you do at, at six o'clock in the morning on in 1909? Slept. Well, people weren't lazy in 1909. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, he sees the father drown the kid, and then the the voice tells him that the ghost is Joseph Carmichael, um, which, if you'll recall, is the name of the senator. Mm-hmm. Who gave that speech at I the symphony orchestra? That. So I mean, I I realized that later that it was the same. M- much person. later in the movie, you thought it was a member of the Carmichael family, right? Mm-hmm. But not necessarily that guy. That it was supposed to be the same guy because yeah. in my mind, nineteen oh nine or nineteen oh six or whatever the yeah. year that this kid was supposed to have died is so far away. Right. Nobody would still be alive, but You're this like, was wait. 1980. So this mm-hmm. was a lot closer to that date. And, and we don't even know if it was 1980 <laughs> that it took place in. Right. Because it we yeah. just know it takes place on March 4th. <laughs> right. The actual story, the Colorado story, the uh, takes place in the 1960s, the haunting period of the story. But yeah, for a 10-year-old in 1906 to still be alive as a senator means that he was born in 1896. Um, so it is confusing to wrap your head around like, wait, in 1980 he was a senator? But uh, but yeah, we, we still do that sometimes. We have yeah. senators that are into their 90s mm-hmm. looking at you, Strum, Thurmond. When he finishes listening to oh, it, yeah. he, he wanders over to his phone and he picks it up and he says, Claire! This is Frank! Cross! I know it's been 15 years since we talked, but... I really need to talk to you right now. I, something terrible has happened. Or maybe not, I don't know. But I, whatever, I have to talk to you no matter what, it's urgent. Call me at any hour. <laughs> I had to put that down because the fact that her name is Claire makes that too perfect. Yeah. But that's not, wait, that's from uh, Scrooged. What, what he actually says is uh, that he needs help and uh, he basically collapses while he... Yeah. He's not leaving a message. He's on the phone with her, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, which then, you know, we... There, there's a lot of scenes where, where it just cuts. Yeah, and, we, and then, we jump cut to her having heard the message. Yeah, right? and she's she's crying. She's very upset. And, and and this is one of those things where, like, like everything is just working out. Right. Like, it wasn't like he only... Only he heard the recording when he plays it back for her. Right. It's not there. It's like, no, no. Yeah, that's true. We're so used to this in movies yeah. where... People are like, here's the evidence. And then they're like, oh, this page is blank. And it's like, oh, what? It was there a second ago, <laughs> yeah. I swear. Uh, and she's freaking out about it. And, and he's like, I heard Sacred Heart. And she was like, that was a local orphanage. And then he's basically put the whole thing together in his head already. Yeah. But then she just completely freezes up when she looks at the stairs. Right. Oh, because... God, that just felt it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and so, and like, so once again, like, there's clearly something happening now. Yeah, this isn't someone in someone's imagination. Yeah, 
uh, and uh, the wheelchair from the room has yeah, rolled ha- itself has to rolled the top itself of the stairs. The, way the, the tiny st- little child's wheelchair. Yeah. It's yeah. so creepy little. Does so, it just stay at the? It just stays at the top of the stairs, right? For now, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This in time. this yeah, scene, yeah. that's all it does. Okay. It just looks at them. Um, <laughs> the chair looks at the them. The chair looks <laughs> menacing. Uh, Joseph Carmichael gets a call from Minnie, the uh, the uh, nosy lady at the Historical Society, mm-hmm. and uh, she says, "Hey, they're they're going through the files. I just thought you should know." And he says, "Thank you very much, Minnie." And she's like. Oh, it, it's an honor to be of service yeah. or something like that because she's just trying to brown nose and get credit. So at this point, are we suspecting, or maybe we always suspect this? I don't know. I'm I'm unclear on whether or not Joe Carmichael knows anything about what what happened. He knows. I, he knows for sure. He knows. Yeah. He's got to okay. know. He was. He was a ten-year-old child when, the, at least a ten-year-old child when this happened. Well, like he wait, t- hold on. Okay, I see what you're saying. Because, because later, I, I think, got the feeling I think he oh, knows. Man, maybe he didn't know. He knows that he's not Joseph Carmichael. Oh That's yes, what yes, I yes, yes. He okay. he knows that he's not Joseph Carmichael. But okay. he he yes. doesn't know that the real Joseph Carmichael. That's was yeah. Okay. Around. So that that from what I understood, that's the case. Yeah, because because he seems genuinely upset yeah. at the allegations. But we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. So he gets this call, and basically he's been orchestrating this cover up. It, it seems uh, foolish of a person trying to cover up their past to pay significant sums of money to keep this house in its current condition instead mm-hmm. of burning it to the ground decades ago. But um, he keeps paying money to the historical society to maintain this home. Well, for all you know, yeah, yeah, I guess. For all he knows, it's the it's the home where his father lived. And right, that's true. That's the yeah, only if, thing if that he doesn't he knows. know what happened necessarily, but yeah. So uh, based on the historical documents, Russell and Claire conclude basically that Richard Carmichael, the father of Joseph Carmichael, drowned his son. Um, he had atropic arthritis, and then he replaced his son with an orphan from Sacred mm-hmm. Heart. They went to Europe. Or Switzerland, right? They went to Switzerland for the for extent of World War One, Right. And they didn't come back until the child was 18 so that people right. wouldn't recognize him. Well, and they conveniently got trapped by there by mm. the war. Yeah. Right. And they could they could say, oh, well, he was cured and that's why he doesn't have his right. condition anymore. And the whole motivation behind this being... Richard's father-in-law had left a will in what George C. Scott calls 1905... Mm-hmm. Which that's how I'm going to refer to the like the aughts the the aughts. I don't like aughts. I, I want to go oh, oh 19. So can, can we just say 23? Yes, <laughs> back in 23, <laughs> it was a very good year. Um, the, there's a lot of I don't I don't like how this kind of comes together because we hear the recording, then Claire hears the recording, and we get the big dramatic with the wheelchair. And then we cut to Carmichael arriving at his office, uh, which is the craziest looking building I've ever seen. It's the Rainier Tower in Seattle. Oh yes, that building. And I was so just like, what it, it reminded is me of this? the cube. Yeah, the, the Phoenix yeah, Foundation. It's building. got like a big swoop on the bottom, so yeah. that it like yeah. it, it's 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 really narrow at at the base, and then swoops out to a normal sized building. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was designed. <laughs> by uh, Minoru uh, Yamasaki, 
who also designed the World Trade Center. Oh, really? And the Century City Triangle Towers. Oh, okay, so cool. So he really likes shapes. Yeah. <laughs> architects, Who doesn't like shapes? Architects <laughs> but, like, tend to be fans of shapes. But, yeah. but they're like very clear, like he's got a very clear style. It's like, so what you're saying is he doesn't like boring buildings. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good, right? Uh, that's probably why he gets the big bucks. But we go from that scene of exposition of the record, him listening to the recording, getting all that information, Claire giving him more information, the scene of Senator Carmichael getting the call, and then them having lunch and discussing more information. There's a lot of just like scenes of spelling it all out. Spelling it all out. Well, it's funny too that they spelled so much of it out and they still didn't tell us enough about Cora's story for my taste. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because then he's like looking at like atlases of the city right over various years like this guy very accommodating guy at the li- public records who got out like different decades worth of atlases yeah are you kidding the they, those people live they for live, that yeah, stuff that, they that, just that want, want a little mystery to solve <laughs> with old maps <laughs> did that did that building remind you of anything when they're looking at the maps no when there's a vaguely british librarian type character pointing at a bunch of maps and telling them about the locations of things and ancient wells that are now covered in different kinds of buildings legend of the holy rose oh legend michael of the- <laughs> ensign was in that same building oh was that the same building it's the same building <laughs> pointing at maps with macgyver telling him where a well was that was now housed in a church mm. in the, in this movie it's now a house but we're skipping over a couple of things here that i want to mention richard's father-in-law Richard Carmichael's father-in-law, the murderer's father-in-law, mm-hmm. had a lot of money, and it was all going to go to Joseph, but he wasn't going to get it if he died before he was 21. Right. So Richard didn't want to take the chance on It this. was going to go to charity yeah. if, if, right. it, if it didn't get inherited. It was skipping over right. his son for, for some unknown reason. Yeah. He the, didn't like his son-in-law. Yeah. And even though Richard was never going to get any of it, he was going to get, he was at least going to have some kind of power as the father of this rich child. Mm-hmm. So he decides he's going to drown the kid and replace him with a kid that he knows will live past 21 so the money doesn't go to charity. Right, just to guarantee that the the money doesn't get lost. Yeah. Right, yeah. but following clues in this message that there's a there's a well on a ranch somewhere, Yeah, he goes to this place and finds out that there is a well on a property. Well, he makes a very big leap that they would have a ranch with a well. Like, it's like, that's a BA place. You get rid of bodies... Didn't Anywhere. He, didn't he ask Claire, like, isn't there a, is there a, is there a Carmichael ranch? I, I'm pretty sure he asked Claire if there he, was. he does, he does, but why, why, I would, that wouldn't be my immediate thought for ranch. I'd be like, I'd be checking out the basement of the house that I'm in. Sure. Looking for a body. I wouldn't be thinking, like, did they own any other property with a well? <laughs> yeah, well, I think he's just using whatever clues he has, and, and the ghost of Joseph Carmichael mentioned a well on a ranch. Right. And he says the ranch. So he assumed, okay, the ranch would mean that this is their ranch, right? I also don't know if anyone noticed anything weird about the placement of this well. Yes, I did. <laughs> it's like 100 feet from the water. Why would you put yeah. a well there? Yeah. Not even 100 feet. It's like right. The house is like on the water yeah. practically. Yeah. It's like this. And if this is supposed to be Seattle, that means it's probably one of the many uh, straits. Uh, is yeah. that what they're called in Seattle? Is that what those... Yeah, sure. Sounds. Oh, sounds. sounds. Yeah, you're talking about the sounds. So that means it's yeah. salt water. It's salt yeah. water. Yeah, you wouldn't put a well there. Yeah. He's like, I am so tired of walking five feet that way, <laughs> scooping up water and boiling it for six hours. Why don't we just dig here? So they put a well right next to the water and a house on the beach. 
And uh, so they go to this house. This woman lets them inside. Well, or, well, we, we we get some more exposition actually. Yeah, he, I, I love this. Like he goes there and she's not yeah, home. He gets all the way to the house and he picks up some mail that's on the ground in front of the house. It's so anticlimactic. Yeah, but it I don't even understand totally what the point of that unnecessary. was. Yeah, it was it's completely arbitrary because he's not getting any new information other than like the name of the woman yeah, who lives the there. The name of the woman. But it's like, wouldn't that be in the public records too? Like, yeah. couldn't you have just called this woman from your home? Well, because I was like, and I wrote down the name. Ooh, Mrs. E. Gray. How does she play into all of this? I'm it's glad like, I didn't write anything down. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I did like the moment, though, uh, when he's talking to the librarian about where the well is. He says, according to the legend. And I was like, why is he talking about legends? And I was like, oh, he means literally the map legend. The map legend. legend. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> like, according to legend. <laughs> Uh, it's just like they're making this sound way more grandiose than it is is there really a legend about all this oh no he's talking about the map okay <laughs> but yeah uh so we get more exposition now we've, we've broken it up with them finding this woman's mail on her own doorstep giving them no new information other than her pointless name and then they get in a car and drive in a loop they just do a u-turn and come back at night yeah they come back to the <laughs> but while they're driving around they they just elaborate on the exposition oh well you know old man spencer's daughter was dead and obviously he wasn't too fond of the son-in-law why did how did his daughter die uh whose daughter old man spencer the the uh the rich the, guy the that... rich guy that's living on the money his because his son-in-law is now a murderer the oh, mom died but I, we never I, cover how the mom died. yeah we never cover how she died she just she, she died yeah uh so they they go in they meet the homeowner and she says, look, the only reason I'm meeting with you is because of something you said on the phone. And you said you had a seance on what Monday night or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that exact night, what you described about a well, my daughter said that there was a skinny boy cl- trying to climb up through the floorboards in her room. And yeah. she had a nightmare. And this was not like a normal nightmare. She was screaming bloody murder and she won't even go back in the yeah. room. She, she describes the boy as gnome-like. Right. Which I think only hammers home that this kid had some kind of growth right. deficiency. But I love when they go into her room and they turn on the light and it's just like nothing but plants. <laughs> yeah, it looks like Leah's room and To All a Good Night. I was telling Jess that like this is the biggest difference between like the 1980s and the present so far in terms of popular trends is there's a lot more indoor plants in the 1980s yeah. than there yeah. are now. People don't do that anymore. Well, it looked like there was almost no windows. It's like maybe she, it's like why she was compensating for the fact that there was no windows. Here, you won't suffocate if we fill this Here room up with plants. You got, it's, it's furnished. <laughs> but uh, so they, they are invited into the daughter's room to take a look at it, but they don't really do much here. Immediately after they leave, though... The daughter has another vision mm-hmm. of this boy climbing up through the floorboards. We cut immediately to an overhead shot of them. Literally, her carpet has been torn up and they're cutting through the floorboards with a saw to find that there is a well situated exactly underneath the floor of this room. And it, does, it seems like there's not even that much between the floorboards of the room and the well. Like, it's just open to the bottom of the floorboards. Right, right. There would be yeah. water damage and yeah. all kinds of problems. Well, the the well was filled in with dirt, as they do with abandoned wells. Right, but it's but... still wet, like yeah, it's, yeah. because well, they're it's right so close the water, to the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're so close. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that is one benefit to putting your well right next to the ocean is that you don't have to dig very far. <laughs> it gets wet well, fairly quick. I've dug a well on the beach before. It's just a regular sand pit. But uh, John Russell's in the hole digging, mm-hmm. and uh, and he comes across the 
skeletal remains of a hand. Mm-hmm. Is it only a hand? I, I think that's just the first thing that he finds. Because okay. I thought someone else said, like, is it just a hand? And he says, like, well, that's all I see here. Like, uh, implying that that was all that there was. But I, I think it was just that that's what the first thing that he came across was the yeah. hand. But, of course, the, the first step here, which they actually take, I was happy, yeah. is you call the police. Yeah, that's exactly. What you do. The second you find any human remains, you call the police. The police show up and <laughs> they're like, do you have some idea who the child was? No, not really. What do you mean, not really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's glad like, they you're called old it enough out. to yeah. have killed this person. We just said the body was only 50 years old. Yeah. Because um, we don't know for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, the police basically lock up the house and send the family that lived there on their way to mm-hmm. a hotel. And they make everybody leave. Russell loops around again, comes back and breaks into the home after the cops leave. This um, kind woman let you come and cut up her yeah. house and mm-hmm. then you go and break into her house it seems really rude yeah but he does it and he gets in the well and he's digging for a while to try and find what he suspects is down here and it turns out he's right the metal uh i like this shot yeah they clear so they clearly did a, a reverse, a reverse shot. shot um <laughs> you know because it's 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 like the metal was pulled into the ground and then they reversed it so it's like this metal Slowly is like out. growing out of the dirt. Yeah, it's, it's it's very it's very cool the way they did it. Um, but uh, this is exactly what he came there for, and he picks it up and he leaves. Mm-hmm. My metal. He he takes it to Claire to prove like okay this is it this is the this is the connection that we're making. And it's and, like should have left this with the body. The cops would have found it tomorrow. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, so a, now I can go see Senator Carmichael. Is like he's not going to talk to you. He's like, oh, he'll talk to me. And I'm like, oh, he's going to like, like confront him. It's like, no, he drives his car onto the tarmac, onto the tarmac, screaming and yelling, <laughs> Senator, I found a dead body in the basement. This will make him listen to me. Name. Be uh, a crazy person and yeah, go to jail. Yeah, this is like Homer Simpson's like bull here, firing a yeah. shotgun into the air. <laughs> and I was like, you didn't approach this well at all. Of course they're going to drag you away. Yeah. Well, it was funny too because when the scene started, like I think we were assuming like that inexplicably he would break through and have a conversation with the senator. But Jess is like, this is dumb. The the Secret Service would just pull him away immediately, and that's what they do. Like <laughs> the, immediately, his guards are just like, nope, nope, get out. You're done. And he gets on the plane and he's just like, yeah, I don't know what that was all about. Um, and he calls the police captain and says, you need to pay this John Russell a visit. And when John Russell returns home, all the doors start slamming in his face. It's like, yeah. he's oh, like, what do you want from me? Yeah, it's like, I'm doing everything I can yeah, here. I'm investigating your murder. I don't know how far you can see. We found the well. I got your metal back. Where do you want me to put this? <laughs> We're, I'm working on it. I haven't stopped. Yeah. And then uh, Captain DeWitt shows up. And gives him a bunch of crap. He's like, hey, where's that medal? I heard you stole a medal from the senator. Uh, we want it back. And he's like, I didn't steal the medal from the senator. And uh, he's like, well, you have to tell me where it is. And by the way, you don't have any rights to this home. So we're going to kick you out. We're going to take all your stuff. Yeah. Like, like he keeps denying everything. And then Claire shows up. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. Claire's going to say something. that's totally going to undo yeah. his lies to this police chief. Luckily, yeah. she... She catches herself pretty quick. She, yeah. she walks in and... and a tizzy because she just got fired basically mm-hmm. she walks and she's like i am so pissed right now you can never believe what that and then she notices the cop and she's like what what sorry what's going on i'm not gonna say anymore until i know what's happening here also if i'm her i am not going back in this house yeah probably not yeah, right i 
No. <laughs> I just saw a child's dead child's wheelchair come to the edge of the stairs. Yeah. But uh, Captain DeWitt basically leaves him with a threat. He says, we're going to come back. We're going to find that metal. We're going to take all your stuff. And we're going to kick you out of here. And he leaves to go down the street. And so does Claire. She, yeah. She left. Yeah, she left too. Um, and uh, she notices down the street that suddenly, while it was driving, the police car literally just flipped completely upside down on its top. Mm-hmm. And Officer DeWitt is dead. Dead. And at the same time as he had that accident... A mirror that George C. Scott is looking into in the home explodes Mm -hmm. with such force that literally a shard of glass, I think, actually hit George C. Scott. And then they played into it by having him, like, pull a shard of glass out of his neck in the next scene. Yeah, it it was a pretty... ah. Yeah. Like, I I don't don't like it. But, But now, like, this is clear that this spirit is not, like, peaceful. Yeah. Like, this isn't... This is this is upping the ante to. But I think a here level. it was just going like, "You're interrupting him. Let him finish his work. Mm-hmm. He's he's uncovering my murderer." But and it's also interesting too that the way the window broke, the windshield broke of the police car mm-hmm. because we get this shot directly through just a hole punched out of the driver's side. So what I'm assuming is happening is that the windshield got punched in. He, in his blind, was swerving and flip, yeah, flipped the car. But it broke in the same way that the mirror did. The senator's plane lands. It seems like he just flew in a circle and landed in the same place where he took off. Yeah. And he gets in his limo, and uh, he gets a phone call, and he's like, oh, yeah, what about uh, what about Captain DeWitt? How'd that go? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like, okay, this is a problem. Yeah. And I was also wondering when the invention of the car phone was, which led me down uh, a path. Oh, interesting. Because he, he's in the car, and he picked up, yeah. he picked up a phone. I was like, did they have car phones then? They, they did. They, yeah. um, they they were essentially just walkie, really high powered walkie talkies that just designed to look like a phone. Oh, okay. But it, it and it would be transmitted through to a phone system. Oh, okay. And then the call would be routed and whatnot. That makes sense. But uh, it was still connected. It wasn't a portable phone. Right. You could not remove that phone from the car. But if right. anyone had them, it was probably the president and senators. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until like later in the eighties that you got like the battery packed ones that you could actually walk around with if you right. wanted to so in finding out that the the street tough that he sent to russell's house was murdered in response he invites john russell over to have a conversation <laughs> like why would you talk to this man he just killed someone as far as you know but uh senator sitting at his desk and uh and russell enters he brought the metal he brought all the paperwork on the property mm-hmm. and he brought the recording of the seance the only copy of the recording of the seance and he tells the senator what he believes happened the senator is just infuriated that these Mm -hmm. accusations would be leveled at his father who he loved and who possibly loved him yeah and this is why i i started wondering if he knew anything about anything like if he had absolutely no idea not not only I wasn't sure about the Joseph Carmichael. I wasn't sure about the murder. Um, I think it makes more sense that he knows that he's not Joseph Carmichael now. But I still don't think he knew about the murder. Right. He definitely knows he's not Joseph Carmichael. Because A, he was 10 years old when this switcheroo happened. And... And B, he's trying. He's clearly trying to cover yeah. something up. Like, the, like he's he's been trying to keep some secret. So it must at least be that he knows he's not the real heir to this fortune. Not that there's anything anyone would do about it at this point if they did find that out. That was my my next 
thing I was gonna say. It's like it's like he, what are the legal ramifications of this secret getting out? Yeah, he he he's not responsible for anything that his father yeah. did. I also feel like there's there's part of this scene. I feel like the this anger is misplaced because the guy in this painting on on the senator's desk is the bad guy. Yeah, like he's the one who murdered a child. All this person did was like a murderer came up to him and he was like, "Hey, do you want millions of dollars?" And it'd be taken into from this orphanage, yeah. which is probably horrible. Yeah, and and all all he did, like he was in, even even if it was a terrible thing to do, he was ten years old when he agreed to take this kid's place. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he's a child; you can't yeah. hold him responsible for that for the rest of his life. Well, and and he probably didn't agree to take the kid's place so and much. And it just it says, you're, we're, "I'm going to name you Joseph Carmichael," and you know. When we're gonna stay here until you're 18, yeah, and together. you're gonna tell people you were cured, and yeah. then we're gonna get a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But it seems pretty clear that he didn't know that his father actually murdered someone to yeah. get the money. Because George C. Scott sees that he's upset. I'm guessing the and father he... said, "My son died, and I'm gonna get cheated out of all this inheritance unless you pretend to be my son. Will you do that for me?" Mm-hmm. And he did it, and he rose to the rank of yeah. senator. And uh, so I feel like. Joseph Carmichael's getting a lot of shit here that he necessarily doesn't deserve. Yeah. But he keeps trying to write a check to Russell right. because he's convinced that this is all a scheme to get a bribe and that he's trying to like withhold, you know, his ability to get reelected. And and possibly that he also kind of implies that like I've dealt with people like you before. It's like, oh, maybe he's not the first person to kind of work this out. Oh, maybe. And he's paid them off because all Huxley, the more reason to burn this house down. Yeah, that's true. He's paying millions of dollars to maintain it, and he didn't. Between tenants, he doesn't go in there and clean the room with a wheelchair and cobwebs and. They clues. didn't know the room was there. It was Joseph Carmichael up. knows it's there. They why, boarded why, it up. Why would he know it's there? He wasn't. He didn't even live there. Who who nailed all this stuff over the door? They came back probably to the, the house after probably they came the back. Father. Probably the father. After he killed his son, he nailed it up and hid that room. If he doesn't everyone. know it's there, then what is he hiding from people? He doesn't know where the body's buried. He doesn't know anything. All he knows is that he's not Joseph Carmichael. He doesn't know where any proof is. Why does he care about the property records of that That's house? That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know. I still don't know what Minnie Huxley part in this is just to serving just the senator woman. yeah <laughs> who thinks she's going to get something from the senator for it but yeah the senator defends his father to the point of tears and uh russell says look i'm not trying to bribe you i came here to 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 tell you what happened and you either knew this or you didn't but here's all the evidence that i have there's no reason for me to go after you mm-hmm. in a legal court. I don't. I don't have a case. I'm not yeah. going to waste money on an attorney. Yeah. There, there's all, no. All I can do is point this out to you and let you know that the ghost is upset, <laughs> and that I, I I have it from a reliable source that Joseph Carmichael doesn't like you, and he leaves, and the senator picks up the medal from the table and he looks at his own medal, which is basically a mock-up mm-hmm. of what was buried with the kid. And he throws his aside. Yeah. Like, and he, yeah. He throws the fake away and decides that he's going to drape the real one over the picture of his father which which to me again was hammering the home that that he that's him making the decision to replace joseph or or that he he realized that that he's not really joseph yeah like that's why i was really confused that 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 whole motion seemed to be like this wasn't real i'm not the real joseph after all but again now i see it makes more sense that that he's accepting it 
Yeah. Maybe that's what, what he's doing wrong. Maybe that's why he's being judged is because he looked at these two medals and he decided, I'm going to, you know what? I am, I am Joseph. Mm. Screw that ghost. He doesn't matter. I'm Joseph. And he threw away his own medal. And he, that's where he's knowingly as an adult taking the identity of this dead child and saying, I don't care what my father did. I'm this person now. Because if he did just kept his own medal, he would have been like, I don't know who that is. That's not me. But this is me. This is how I was raised. But either way, uh, Russell leaves. Claire stops by the home. Again, no reason she would go to this house. And she starts to climb the stairs because she thinks he's in the house. She can hear sounds. Yeah, Um, she hears his voice. Does she hear his voice? Yeah. She gets up the stairs and suddenly the wheelchair comes around a corner. Yeah, she goes all the way up to the kid's room in the attic. Again... Why are you going to go in there? I I wouldn't set two feet in this house. She did say, I don't want to have to go up there. Like, answer me. (laughs) But then, but also like the implication that, did they put the wheelchair back up there? Or did the ghost put the wheelchair back up there? Because last time we saw it, it was on the top top of the the stairs. stairs. Yeah, Yeah. he probably pushed it back up there. I could have seen Georgie's got like, (laughs) thing. back up here. (laughs) 6 a.m. every morning, this thing's at the top of the stairs. Um, And I don't. I don't understand the motivation to hurt Claire. Yeah. I think, I think at this point... It's like the ghosts the in the fog. The spirit is just getting frustrated. But he has what he wants. He has Joseph Carmichael dead to rights with the medal at his desk. That part of the plan is done. Yeah. And it'd be one thing if he was just trying to get her out of the house, but he lures her deeper into the house. He does. And then he chases her down the stairs and almost like death becomes her yeah. on the way out of the building. She falls down the entire flight of stairs from the second floor to the first floor, but gets up immediately and mm-hmm. leaves because Russell's just walking in the door. And then why is Russell going into the house? <laughs> what, what is? Well, because he wants to tell the ghost the great news. <laughs> <laughs> the great news that he just turned over all the evidence and like there is hey, no I justice to be oh, had. The... I had it right. Oh, God. I didn't leave that on his desk, did I? Oh, I'm so stupid. And, like, he's in the house. Where does he need to go? It's like he's trying to get to the room, but the room's never had any real significance on its own uh, ever since he he broke the lock, which I don't know if that... That didn't seem to stop the ghost from having access to the house before with the opening doors and such. So I don't know what his plan is other than to get thrown off the second floor balcony. He he wants the house to be like, thanks. (laughs) Like, he wants to come home and be greeted as a hero. But well, what happens is... I don't understand, though, why he thinks that what he did was heroic. Because, like, I feel like if you if you were the ghost, you'd want justice. And how is confronting the person that took your place justice? Because it wouldn't be telling everybody and, you know, like, you know, bringing this guy, you know, in for, I don't know, whatever you could charge him with. Would yeah. that be justice? Well, at the very least, it's justice on the father, who is a murderer, for the the person who this father probably, like the only person who loved his father anymore, now that person is learning, oh, he was actually a murderer. So the word is out now to the only person who still cared about his father that his father was a terrible person. So that's the justice that the ghost got. that's crappy justice. It is crappy justice. And it's I feel like super the ghost belated. would have wanted more, which is yeah. why he's pushing Claire down the stairs. Yeah, he's like, you know what? I thought I was going to be happy. This wasn't enough. <laughs> Turns out revenge doesn't make me feel good. Maybe if I All kill right. more people. But pushing her down the stairs is really the first, like, really, well, no, I he guess. He killed the cop. He killed the cop. That is malicious. Yeah. 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 
So, but it's the first malicious things he does to anybody who didn't really do anything to deserve it. Right. And I would argue that the cop really didn't deserve it. Well, he didn't deserve to die. But, uh, but yeah, Russell goes up the first flight of stairs, and as he's coming around the banister, uh, the wind is blowing through this house so wildly that he literally gets blasted through the banister and back to mm-hmm. the first floor, off like just over the edge. Yeah, that was crazy. I did not expect that. Yeah. I thought it was just going to be like him like struggling against the wind to get in, and then he was going to have like another conversation with a ghost, but he literally gets blasted the whole way back to the first mm-hmm. floor. He's laying on the ground in the chandelier over him is swaying wildly when suddenly he turns to the right and he sees a vision of the senator walking up the stairs like the senator came to his house Mm -hmm. to face the ghost and face his destiny and as he's walking up the stairs the banister catches fire the whole way around yeah the floor and right as the senator steps off the top step onto the second floor the entire stairs collapse below him just collapse on each other and they basically fold in half with nothing underneath them Mm -hmm. and this is the moment that i realized oh a bunch of these interiors were built too (laughs) yeah Yeah. the senator just keeps walking around like through the wind toward the room upstairs while russell's watching from the ground the chandelier eventually does fall and russell gets out of the way just in time Um, outside claire is scrambling to get back into the house because she knows that Russell's in there, mm. but the door's somehow locked itself, but he's able to open it from the inside. Right. Um, and then they both sort of step outside. Does he tell her that they, that he saw the senator? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think he does. But the senator, we should... The senator's we, not actually Yeah, here. he's not anything. He's still at his desk, but his whole desk is like going crazy, but right. he's like hypnotized, and there's this cool little like key light of the metal reflection on his face. Right. And he witnesses the murder, essentially. Yes. Uh, which causes That he him, benefited from. Yeah, which causes him to, I guess, just have a heart attack. Yeah. I mean, he was 120 years old, so... <laughs> no, well, so, if I think this takes... If if car phones, you said, did exist technically in 1980, mm-hmm. and he has one in this movie, so that it is supposed to be 1980, so he's like... Well, they, they, 84? 84? Well, they, they, yeah, they, like, they did exist in the late 70s yeah. as well, but... So he's he's... You know, if is, if it takes place the year it was released, he yeah. would be eighty four. Yeah, which isn't unheard of for senators. Mm. I don't think I'd be worried a bunch about re-election if I were eighty four. <laughs> so it seems like uh, Russell and Claire basically get in a car and drive directly to the senator's home, mm-hmm. where he's being walked out or carried out of the uh, of the building on a stretcher, yeah, with it completely covered because right. he died. I feel um, like this would be a bad move. Did like, you recognize this building, though? I didn't recognize the Senator's this house? Legend of the Holy Rose. <laughs> it's the castle house that they, that like the whole second I cannot part believe that. that I did not recognize any of these because MacGyver locations. Because when you're shooting the entire movie in Vancouver, <laughs> in Vancouver there's going to be yeah. a lot of stuff that's from uh, MacGyver episodes. But uh, yeah. I think it would be a bad idea for you as the crazy person that attacked the senator at the airport to then immediately go to his house right when he died? After only visiting him hours before, probably? Right. Because he was still wearing the same clothes? Right. Right. You just visited this man, and then he mysteriously died after you attacked him at the airport. Not a good move. No. It's, uh, It's pretty common practice in the cases of bombings and, like, uh, serial pyromania situations to take a lot of photographs of the crime scene in the hours after because a lot of the time you end up 
finding pictures of the person who caused it because they want to stick around and see the aftermath of their actions. And it would be extremely bad if someone noticed him outside and he didn't have a reasonable excuse for being there and they were like, why are you here? What? You saw I don't know. his I just ghost going up like, the stairs? I felt what? like he was going to die. Well, you were in his office early. Did you give him anything? Yeah, I gave him a few things. <laughs> I gave him a bunch of stuff. I hope none of it killed him. <laughs> but uh, I didn't give him any food or anything. So I gave him some metal that's been in the ground for 50 years. Maybe yeah. it was uh, got some diseases. That. Was, Shot it, him it, up it, with it, some it, polonium. He was wrapped around a corpse. But yeah, um... The senator's dead, and uh, the next day we get a shot of the burnt wheelchair um, at the bottom of the stairs, and the burnt music box is right next to it, and it pops open and plays oh, the song Bottom for of the, the stairs. There's nothing left. It's yeah. just a yeah. pile of ash. Which, when I saw that house completely engulfed in flames, I was like, okay, this that is not a real house. Yeah. yeah. It was very convincing, though. Yeah. No, it was, it was definitely... Worth all $200,000 that they spent on it. That facade looked awesome. This is 1980. $200,000 you could have bought that whole house. If it was real. Yeah. And that's it. That's the end of the film. We said before it was directed by Peter Medic. Yeah, so this guy is awesome. I was looking up all these things that he's done. Did you ever watch Fairy Tale Theater? And I didn't, but is I saw that the. I saw that that was on his thing. What's yeah, her, what's her name? I names? definitely watched these as a kid, and I loved them. It was Shelley Duvall That's posted. What I was gonna, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and they were great. They were great little. Maybe they don't hold up. I haven't seen them since. You know, probably. Hervé Villachez was in one of them too. Probably I, they I, were great. This is like the, like the weird versions, like Robin Williams and like Beauty and the Beast, and like they yeah. were, and had famous people. In yeah, them. no, yeah, they were definitely famous people in these episodes. I just I remember loving them as a kid, so I think those are great. I love I, that he did five of those. I think Hervé was uh, Rumpelstiltskin in one of the episodes, but Peter Medak also directed Zorro the Gay Blade with George Hamilton. Mm-hmm. He directed Species Two. Yeah, I was really confused by the IMDb picture because it was like, it's like, is that a xenomorph in the picture with him? Yeah. And I was like, what is that? Why does Z-Morph have boobs? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, we all have boobs. I like that he did six episodes of Homicide Life on the Street. You is that know with why? Detective Bayless? Detective Bayless! Yeah! <laughs> he was, I guess he was the third choice to direct this after um, a couple other people left with creative differences. But he ended up joining just a month before shooting began, which is pretty impressive. Doing it's all the credit. Mm-hmm. Yep. He did an episode of Breaking Bad. Did he really? Yeah. Which episode? Peekaboo. Oh, I don't know that one. <laughs> the film was written by William Gray, who will write Prom Night later this year. He also uh, wrote Philadelphia Experiment and a few episodes of the 90s RoboCop show. Yeah. Which on his IMDb page, I was like, wait, did he write RoboCop? Yeah, Because no. it's just a picture of RoboCop with the word RoboCop underneath. It didn't indicate that it was the TV show. But well, um, and he also wrote Dark Shadows, The House of Dark Shadows, which is cool. What is the House of Dark Show? Is that the movie of the yeah. soap series? And uh, the other writer, Diana Maddox, also wrote The Amateur uh, next year, 1981. And she has a lot of TV acting credits also. And it's weird that they wrote it together. And I don't think they wrote They're anything not else together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they have the ampersand and. Which means that they wrote it together. Yeah. Correct. Um, oh, I didn't. 
Didn't know there was a distinction with that. When it's the ampersand, it means they were writing partners. And when it says and, then it means that the other person came on later and redid the, oh, did another draft on it. Interesting distinction. George C. Scott was John Russell. He, I think his name was probably a reference to Russell Hunter, who yeah. uh, wrote the book. Uh, well, yeah. And we need to talk about Russell Hunter. All right. Let's talk about him. Because <laughs> Russell Hunter based this on a true story of himself being in the house that was haunted being in the house that was haunted and had a seance which led him to a place where he found a body what (laughs) so he was probably a murderer yeah we're gonna go out on a limb and say john russell it's based on russell hunter the murderer yeah the i'm trying to how come we accuse a lot of people of murder on this podcast well that's what podcasts are for it's cold (laughs) cases this is basically (laughs) our our version of cold cases movie cold cases yeah so uh he experienced a series of unexplained phenomenon. He found a century-old journal detailing the life of a disabled boy who was kept in isolation. Right. They said century-old, but I think they someone also said that the, the house wasn't even like 60 years old. <laughs> so he couldn't have found a century-old journal. Yeah, he, he, and he uses the word claimed. He claimed the spirit of a boy, led him to another house where he discovered a body. Uh, but he legitimately discovered a body? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the house belonged to someone who was childless. And, uh, the house well, room. now they are. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I was like, what is happening with all this? I was asking, he was like, did you do any research yet on this movie? Because it's crazy. Yeah, that is pretty bonkers. George C. Scott, obviously, uh, people probably know him as Patton in Patton. Yeah, I always go to uh, General Buck Turgeson in Doctor Strangelove. He was also Jake Terrell in Day of the Dolphin. Have you seen Day of the Dolphin? I have not. It's literally about dolphins being trained to attack the president. <laughs> That's the premise of the movie. That sounds wonderful. Um, I should check it out because I might have it completely wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what Day of the Dolphin is about. Um, let's, let's, Russians, let's, not, like, let's not double check this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just... I, yeah. I, I have a couple of, of ones that I go... Patton is usually where I go to. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I like uh, Firestarter. Oh, yeah. Where yes. he plays an Indian. Does he really? Oh dear. Uh, I love uh, the uh, uh, the Hindenburg movie. Oh, that's great. Uh, uh, That's that's a really great role. He takes a lot of very strange roles. Um, And then one of his later roles was McLeach in The Rescuers Down Under. Yeah, he'll come back later this year in The Formula. I want that formula. And he's also uh, Kinderman in Exorcist Three. Yeah. I was telling Jess as a kid, I always confused him and Roy Scheider. That's a weird. They're they're from completely different time periods, but they looked enough alike to me. And as a kid, where they they were both now old men, I was just mm. like, eh, they look the same to me. They're probably the same person. So it constantly confused the two of them. Uh, Trish Vandeveer, who was Claire Norman, uh, she was Louise Callan in Where's Papa? Yeah. Um, which is a very funny movie. Uh, she plays George C. Scott's wife in Day of the Dolphin, and she will also be back later this year in a movie called The Hearse. Uh, Gene Marsh, we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, Mombi and uh, Bev Morda. Um, John Colicos, who played Captain DeWitt, uh, in addition to being in that Star Trek episode about changelings, he was the voice of Apocalypse in the X-Men animated series. Yeah, what a great voice that is, too. Yeah. You had your chance to be the first of my creatures, the first to serve my will. And he'll also be back later this year for John Huston's Phobia. So we have a lot of cool horror movies coming up. Madeline Sherwood was Mrs. Norman. Um, that's uh, 
uh, Claire's, Claire's mother. mother. Yeah. Um, oh, and I recognize she's she's got a very unique looking face. Yeah. She's very unusual looking. And I'm like, I recognize her. And I realized it was because I had just recently watched uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and she right. plays the obnoxious uh, sister with all the kids. Yeah. May Pollitt is the character's name. And then Eric Christmas, who plays Albert Harmon, the assistant to the medium. I always recognize him from uh, Harold and Maud. Where he plays the priest in that. Yeah. But he also plays a priest on a couple other things. Yeah, in, Including exactly. Cheers. Did you? Uh, well, I, I was noticing like that he played a lot of priests. But yeah, I was also disappointed that I couldn't find a single Christmas movie that he had been in. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? That's got to be intentional. Just the Changeling? That's the only Christmas movie yeah. he ever did? But he, he was the priest on Cheers who I remember. There's a few scenes that he's in. But one of them was... The funeral for uh, Rio Perlman's husband. No, oh. after he gets hit by the Zamboni. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Roberta Maxwell played Ava Lingstrom, which I think is one of the two friends that hooked him up with the uh, professorship mm. um, that he meets with between the yeah. New York scenes and the Seattle a- scenes. A- and that was another thing; those those characters never come up. Yeah, but um, that actress plays Nana Oil in Popeye later this year, which is yeah. Olive Oil's mother. Um, which is funny because she really looks like Shelley Duvall, too. She was also uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's mother in Brokeback Mountain um, and Judge Tate in Philadelphia. And her husband in that scene, uh, Bernard Behrens, plays Robert Langstrom. He was Attorney General Smith in The Day Reagan Was Shot. Are you familiar with that film? I, I know it, but I... Uh... It was written and directed by one Cyrus Narasta. Oh. It's a TV movie. Friend of ours, Cyrus Narasta. And uh, he also played an elegant doctor later this year in a movie called loving couples it's credited as elegant doctor so um sad that it doesn't have a name but i'm sure we'll know a little bit more about that later and then the last credit i wanted to mention oh, actually there's a couple more uh voldy way was joseph carmichael which just yeah. you found some interesting so, stuff about yeah fun, fun little tidbit his only other credit on imdb uh voldy way uh, aside from playing Joseph Carmichael in The Changeling, was playing Joseph Carmichael in a movie called Boo. 25 years later. <laughs> 25 years later. Yeah, so apparently it was uh, like it was just a cameo, and it was a it was a, the the name was just an homage to, right. to yeah, this right. movie. But um, but he's also just kind of a strange character in and of himself. Like. Uh, his biography on IMDb says that he uh, he was born in a VW bus to flower children parents, and he was home educated, and um, he co-founded a software company in Santa Ana, uh, which I which I then looked up. He actually um, runs a, uh, a a game company, so he's it's uh, in in Valencia. It's called uh, Way Forward. Oh yeah, oh I know way forward. Of course you and do. One of his games a, just showed up on Switch too. They have a whole bunch of famous games. Yeah, I, so. I, I love the Shantae series. Yeah, exactly. He, he's involved in so the Shantae series. So he's the executive series. producer of that, oh, okay. of that series. Those are all really great games. That's the kid <laughs> yep. who gets drowned. Is the executive producer of that game. I I love the fact that his IMDb photo is the creepy underwater him as like a like a kid in this movie. Like the shot of him yeah. underwater. That's his photo where you can't even identify like a human body or face in it really um what what is uh is it john legend's wife uh on twitter what's her name chrissy teigen Chris, chrissy teigen she tweeted about how she just got some new game and it was terrible 
and someone tweeted like oh well have you played the shantae games they're platformers and i know you like prince of persia and she was like oh my god i'm downloading it now and so that's pinned as voldy's like most recent tweet is chrissy <laughs> Teigen going i'm downloading the game now it's a screenshot of her switch awesome. downloading that game two other interesting actors in this film Giancarlo esposito was an extra somewhere cool but he says he was in it also <laughs> joshua jackson Huh. from dawson's creek wow was, was literally months old he plays a baby in this well film. i was gonna i was gonna say because he's cause he's got to be around our age his so. mom worked in casting and so she uh i don't remember any babies this, in this movie i watched it a second time didn't see a single baby so huh. he's apparently in there somewhere okay. did, we, did we mention melvin douglas as oh Senator no we didn't Carmichael? yeah uh i mean i, I it's melvin douglas <laughs> uh he is a he is a two-time oscar winner uh, one for HUD and one for being there with the yeah. sellers. You know, he's in a ton. I don't of stuff. know. How I skipped he's, him on here. He's got a very, very long career. Up or down, Jess? Uh, that's a that's a big thumbs up for me. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a thumbs up for me. I know I I I was harsh in my criticism because I feel that there could have been a few things like tidied up, um, a little less exposition because the plot is a little convoluted. Um, there, there's a few too many of the misleads, but um, yeah, I thought it was great. I was really surprised. I got really creeped out watching it by myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was. I was surprised that you made it through this movie. Yeah. you're not a fan of scary movies. Yeah, there, there were definitely times I, I was watching it in a dark room by myself, and I kept looking behind myself because <laughs> I don't like watching a scary movie by myself. Yeah, we I, we were losing it during the seance scene. Like I was like just yeah. fidgeting and like i couldn't sit still it's it's pretty legitimately terrifying i had uh, multiple audible gasps in this movie <laughs> yeah um so it definitely a thumbs way up for me richard why don't you start us off where's this landing on your letterbox um, uh, yeah I'm, I'm having a little bit of a conflict but i think i'm gonna put this in my number five spot okay so it's gonna be below the fog and above saturn three okay it is also in my number five spot. Yeah, <laughs> finally. But uh, my list is different from yours. Of course. Put the, for that, for that number five spot, it is just above Mad Max and just below my brilliant career. I'm having a hard time here because I'm trying to decide. I think this goes in my number two spot, above Ninth Configuration and right below Forbidden Zone. Um, I really enjoyed this film. Um, and the music didn't bother me, so it gets a little bit of a bump from that for me. But uh, yeah, it's phenomenal, and it's definitely... I think what I'm liking a lot from this year is the stuff that I hadn't seen or really heard about. You know, stuff that doesn't get brought up a lot. And then finding it and being like, wow, this could be like, you know, in my top ten movies for like the last decade if it had come out right now. But yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I think that's about it for this one. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. If you consider rating us on iTunes, it would help people find the show, and if you take the time to leave a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Speaking of which, I should mention, we have a second $5 patreon subscriber Woo! his name is steve bayless which is weird because he spells it the same way you do i have nothing to do with this and uh and he looks like your dad <laughs> i but... didn't ask him to do this <laughs> <laughs> oh, i know you didn't 
But uh, thank you, Steve, for your support. We, still appreciate, we appreciate it. it. <laughs> thank uh, you. You're doing a great job. And uh, keep listening. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Don't Go in the House, which IMDb says is about a disturbed young man who was burned as a child by his sadistic mother and stalks women with a flamethrower. It's pretty succinct. We leave you now with a trailer for Don't Go in the House. Mother, I'm home! you to meet her before I introduce her to the others.